Bob. We got Dan on the line. What do you want to ask him? How did you start getting investors lined up? How did you start getting investors lined up? Well, I will say that in the very beginning, it was challenging because I said earlier, I came from the background of being a chiropractor and only medical clinics. And so trying to go to like family and friends and trying to raise money from them, it was like, well, I thought you were a chiropractor. The biggest hurdle we had to overcome first was trying to figure out how to talk to our family and friends about what I'm doing now. And I quickly found that that was more of an uphill battle than just trying to go out and try to find investors that already were somewhat pre-educated in it. And that's kind of where we at PassiveInvesting.com is focused is trying to go after people that already are pre-educated on it instead of trying to teach a lot of new investors how to invest passively. This is the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast, and I'm your host, Brian Briscoe. Now, this podcast is designed for the aspiring apartment investor and literally gives them the opportunity to ask the questions that will help them get to the next level. So if you're an aspiring apartment investor, this podcast is for you. Now, this podcast is brought to you by the Tribe of Titans Multifamily Educational Community. It's your one-stop shop for learning how to succeed at apartment investing. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe. Very excited for today's show. We've got two amazing guys on the line with us today. We got Dan Hanford and Bob Lewick. And so as the listeners are accustomed, you know, the experienced investor is up to the plate first. Very fitting reference because we have World Series Game 3 today, which kind of dates when we record this. But Dan, welcome to the show today. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. Looking forward to it. All right. And thank you as well. I very much appreciate it. And I do want to say something, you know, a long, long time ago, this is probably three and a half years ago, four years ago, when I first started in this business, I was looking for apartments in South Carolina. You probably don't remember this, but I reached out to you on LinkedIn and said, hey, I heard you're in South Carolina looking at stuff and own properties. Can you give me a property manager referral? And within probably two hours, I had an answer back with with like, two different property management companies. Anyway, something I, I never properly said thank you for at the time, but hopefully, you know, three, four years late, you'll you'll still accept my, my appreciation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, no, I appreciate that. No problem, Brian. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, do us a favor. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I am married and have four children and we have a standard poodle named Bella. Mm-hmm. Uh, my four kids are actually uh, 11, 10, 6, and 5. Mm-hmm. And so still kind of fairly young, but uh, yeah. enjoying, enjoying time with them and kind of growing things with them. It's been uh, it's been quite fun to be able to inc- include them with some of the investing side of things that we're doing as well. And mm-hmm. uh, they're 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 always excited. And uh, the two older ones are actually invested in some properties. Uh, my nice. older one is invested in, I think, two, uh, maybe three. And then uh, uh, my my son is invested in one of our, our express car wash funds that we've put together as well. So now, do you have um, them on payroll too? So are you getting like the tax deduction for paying your kids and then having them invest that money? No. So we're not. Oh, okay. So it, it's a small amount because I basically told them, I said, once you get to a thousand dollars, I'll let you invest in one of our properties. Nice. Now, of course, they're not actually signing on the PPMs and right. you know going through that process. They're investing and giving daddy money and I'm giving them a return based on the projections and mm-hmm. or based on what I'm actually receiving off of the investments just so they can kind of get the feel for it. And they're receiving the emails with the, nice. the, with the monthly updates and you know things like that. And instead of doing monthly distributions like we do, I give them quarterly just because it's a little less you know, time consuming oh, yeah. for me to have to deal with it on a monthly basis, but they don't let me forget that for sure. So your two oldest, you say 11 and 10, right? Correct. 
Oh, geez, man, I, I'm behind the power curve. I got an 11 year old and a 10 year old in my house too. So I get them <laughs> investing in things, but I think that's awesome, by the way, it's something that uh, I, I should probably do better is get my, my kids a little more involved. So yeah, so you got, you got two kids that are, that are already invested, which I think is awesome. And oh, by the way, I love that you led with your family. Most people lead with business, but I love that you led with your family. So father, four kids, husband, what else? So we actually live here in Columbia, South Carolina. I know you mentioned South Carolina earlier on. So yep. we're here in the middle of the state in, uh, in what's called the Midlands area of South Carolina. Been here since 2010. Back in 2010, when we first moved here, we actually, my wife and I started a group of medical clinics. At that time, they were chiropractic clinics, actually, because I'm a chiropractor by trade. And so we did chiropractic for a couple of years and then started to bring on the medical component to it. And then fell in love with the medical side of things that we were doing inside of the non-surgical orthopedics and sports medicine side of things mm -hmm. and grew the clinics from just one location here in Columbia to four locations. We have one in Charleston, one in Greenville, and one in North Augusta. Okay. So we have a presence pretty much throughout the entire state, except for maybe some of the lower region or, or and upwards into the kind of like the Myrtle Beach area. Oh, yeah. And so when we grew that group, we got to the point where those clinics were doing really well. They were cash flowing well. They were 100% debt, debt free. Mm -hmm. And it caused a... A problem of us having to write really large six-figure checks to the government. Yeah. And so not just on a monthly basis, I mean, on a, on, a, on a yearly basis, but on a quarterly basis. And wow. so it's a little frustrating doing that. And so back in 2017 is when I started doing some more real, like real deep dive and research into investing in real estate and mm -hmm. didn't really have the, the time to really focus on it until 2018 when I stepped out full-time, promoted my COO to the CEO. He's still the CEO of the group today. Mm -hmm. And and so I was able to step out full-time and really focus on the real estate side of things, started investing passively first as an LP. Uh, with my wife and I kind of going through and vetting different operators and then hired a coach and a mentor, started to uh, do some like joint ventures or co-GPs with some other groups, mm -hmm. to like build our track record, build our credibility. And then back in uh, December of 2018, acquired our very first asset on our own. Mm -hmm. And since that time, we've acquired just over 1.6 billion in assets and still currently have just over 1.3 billion in assets under management. We did sell a few, uh, yep. we have, we've gone full cycle on eight different projects at this point. And uh, now we've also expanded outside of multifamily into other asset classes mm -hmm. like self-storage, hotels, and, and as of late in, the, the, in this year, uh, express car washes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, love it. I love it. So from 2018, I just just make sure, you know, cleaning my ears out from December 2018 till today, which is November 22. So just under four years. What was the total asset you've purchased? 1.6 billion. dollars. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's uh that's a lot and uh, some fantastic growth. And it's actually been fun following you since because I think it was probably early 2019 when I sent that first message on LinkedIn that I referenced earlier. But so Getting started, what were some of the big challenges you had getting into it as not necessarily the co-GP, but as lead sponsor? Sure. I would say that one of the biggest challenges was uh, the, the track record and reputation, not just with investors, but with sellers and brokers. Because to go to a broker and then say, "Hey, so well, how many, how much, how much assets do you have in your current portfolio?" and you're like, um, "I just got started. I don't have anything." Yeah, so, a little bit hard to get them to really believe what you're trying, what you're trying to tell them that you can actually execute on a transaction. When at that point we had never actually executed on a transaction, mm -hmm. and that was really the impetus behind wanting to join and partner with other groups because. After we closed on a few of those properties, we were able to now increase our, you know, assets under management, if you will, at that time to be able to, you know, get build that track record and build that credibility 
uh, uh, for for the sellers as well as the brokers. And then at the same time with the investors, because yes, deal flow is a problem when you first get started, but also investor flow, right? And so, you know, we started back in in, in 2018, we'd get 5, 10, maybe 15, 20 leads a month into the website. And I actually, you know, just pulled it up this morning to see how many leads we had on the website as of this morning, because we use a, a dashboard type software that gives us the ability to see kind of in the last rolling 30 days, how many new, you know, accredited investor leads come through the website. And as I'm talking here, I just pulled it up as that 665 new leads that have come through the website just in the last 30 days. Wow. And so you know, in the beginning, it was very challenging because we didn't have as much flow coming in. And of course, now it's it's still challenging because of the way the because of the way the the current condition of the market mm-hmm. and the investor sentiment and stuff like that. But um, even this year, we've been able to outsurpass what we raised last year. We'll raise this year probably close to about three hundred million dollars in private equity from from our investors. Yeah. Now, three hundred million this year is a lot more than I think probably everybody listening to this podcast combined. Let's rewind the clock back to your your very first capital raise and just just see the progression there. How much did you raise on your first capital? Capital raise. Um, so the very first one that we did on our own, we were raising just over two and a half million. Okay. And it took us a full 60 days to raise that, that, mm-hmm. that two and a half million. And that was with pounding the pavement, calling, getting on, on the phones, talking to people, you know, doing the traditional email blast and webinar and and, and getting people to subscribe and stuff. But it was it was definitely a one of one of our, I would say it was our second most challenging raise that we've ever had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I I point that out because, you know, I mean, 300 million, a lot of people listening are like, wow, unachievable. You know, some people will just like check that box already. Hey, good for him. But I'd love to hear about the first one because I think most people say the same thing. I would say about, and I'm just going to throw a number out there, you know, 90% of the people who talk about their first capital raise will say it's the most difficult one. And and you said something mm-hmm. similar. It was, you know, second most difficult ever. So just out of curiosity, what was the most difficult one and why? <laughs> I was wondering, Brian, if you were just going to gloss over that or not. <laughs> oh, no, eventually, you know, we would come back to it. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I would say it was actually, we, we we got our, it wasn't the largest deal we had purchased, but it was the largest equity raise that we had done at the time. Mm-hmm. And it was in March of 2020. Oh, geez. So yes. we literally signed the contract at the beginning of March. And then mm-hmm. two weeks later, the bottom falls out of the market and COVID is, 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 yes. is in full swing, you know? And we, 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 on that deal, it was that we had over a million dollars of earnest money. That was hard day one. Mm-hmm. And we had uh, only 51 days to close it because mm-hmm. in order to win the deal, we had to reduce our terms. And so we went from a 30, 30 typical timeframe with a possible 30 extension to dropping the extension mm-hmm. and only doing a 30, 21 or a 2130. So after 21 days due diligence, everything else went hard. Additional, you know, seven figures of earnest money when it was going hard. And then we had 30 days to close from there. Mm -hmm. And we, we just, you know, kept our, our our nose down and continued to raise the funds. And I would say it was the hardest because obviously it was the the, the amount of money that was at risk at that mm-hmm. time. But also we didn't know what was going to go on. I mean, yeah. we, we that time at that time. I mean, I was actually invested in a deal that fell through, and the sponsor lost their earnest money, and we got our money back right mm-hmm. as the as the investor. And uh, of course, we never want that to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that deal ended up, we actually ended up going back to the seller and having to retrade the deal because the interest rate environment, if you remember that time, was Crazy. all over the place. Like yeah. every day it was doing something different. 
And uh, it was very, very crazy. But we we did eventually, I mean, I, we did more webinars on that project than we had ever done on any other project mm -hmm. up to this point. And so I would say that was definitely the most challenging. But uh, the second most one was definitely uh, that, that, that first one. Okay. Now, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, had, had there not been all the closures for COVID, I, I think that first one, would you agree that first one would have been the most challenging? You know, had 100%. Had, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good, good, good. Now, incidentally, we, we had a, a property in Columbia. We had just signed an LOI a couple of days before the COVID closing. It was, uh, um, you, I mean, you may actually know the property, Shandon Crossing, you know, in the Shandon subdivision. But uh, mm -hmm. um, yep. yeah, we we signed a an LOI on that property right before COVID shut down. And, and the seller in our case, you know, wasn't, wasn't playing ball, wasn't, uh, wasn't doing anything. That's not a property you own, by the way, is it? No. Okay, good, 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 good. But, uh, um, and I mean, it ended up being just a, hey, Mr. Seller, um, this whole COVID thing just happened. Can we can we get a couple of extensions added to the contract? And you know, his answer was no, and we we ended up uh, pulling the plug. But uh, I think that would have been extremely challenging um, anyway. But uh, yeah, um, interesting. Yeah, love it, love it. So now, one thing I want to talk about, and you know, I'm, I'm on I'm on your investor list, and I, I get you know a really glossy thing in the mail. And if you're on YouTube, you can see it. If you're if you're listening on the podcast, you you can't. But just do you send that out to all of your investors? I mean, you say you have 600 people in the last month. Do you send one of those out to all of your investors, or how do you decide who gets it, who doesn't? Yeah. So anybody that's on our list that we actually have their physical mailing address, they do get that 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 in the mail. Okay. So that's something that whenever we onboard investors and we schedule a phone call with them, we do ask them for their their actual mailing address so we can start to send them our monthly newsletter that I'm sure you're probably receiving as yep. well, and then also the uh, the, uh, the the actual different offerings that we put together. Yep. I've got one of the newsletter copies to the left of me. It comes with a coloring page for the kids, by the way, for anybody listening. Yep. But uh, um, now. Something I, I realize, and I, I think I think you do it right, but uh, I, I talk with a lot of brand new people who want to raise millions of dollars, but are afraid to put you know a hundred dollars out to create professional or a thousand dollars out to create professional uh, um, products. Um, how much difference has has it been for you guys, or how much different is it for you guys capital raising once you started sending those mailers out? Yeah. So for, for me in the very beginning, one of the challenges we had is that, you know, we have a large number of investors on our list. And, you know, right now I'm actually, you know, looking at our dashboard and we have, you know, just over 10,600 investors. It was like 10,614 to be exact that are on our, on our list. Right. Mm -hmm. And these are people that have gone to the website, raised their hand and said, I'm an accredited investor and I want to invest with you. And, uh, and so with that, we, we send out an email to announce a, a different, an offering. We have a very highly cultivated list. And so, you know, we have a very high open rate. So mm -hmm. we get we're usually between about 52 to 53% of those investors are opening it. Yeah. And if you know anything about email marketing, I mean, if you get a 20% open rate, you're really good, right? And so to get over 50%, and that's phenomenal, right? I mean, that's, that's like unheard of. But again, these are people that are that really want to hear from us and really want to be on our list, which is why we have such a high open rate. Mm -hmm. But I still look at that and I go, but we still have almost 50% of our investors that are not getting our emails. Yeah. So we're spending all this time and energy and effort cultivating our emails and I mean, cultivating our investors and educating them. And then 50% of them don't even get the email that says, hey, we have another offering, yeah. right? And I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've had a phone call with an investor and they're like, you know, I asked them like, hey, did you hear about the most recent deal that the bank's over in Myrtle yeah. Beach? And they're like, no, I didn't even I didn't even know it came out. I'm like, oh, well, it was probably in your spam box or something, mm -hmm. right? 
And so at that, about, it was probably a little over two years ago now, about two and a half years ago now, I decided that I wanted to start cultivating an actual physical mailing list mm-hmm. of our investors and not just an email mm-hmm. so that we could actually start to you know uh, engage them in a different type of, 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 of media, if you will. And so the initial reason for the list was to uh, get them to be able to get their mailing address, to be able to mail them our monthly physical printed newsletter, right, mm-hmm. that we had talked about a minute ago. And that way we can start to incorporate the family unit and like the coloring sheets and including the figure, the kids and get them involved with it. And then also we have a word search in the back. And of course we have good information in that. It's not like a, a a cheap, you know, piece of paper that's folded in half and sent to to investors magazine. I mean, it's It's, it's like a small magazine. Yeah, it is. It is definitely a production to put it on. Mm -hmm. Um, I will tell you that matter of fact, I'm a little behind on my November (laughs) newsletter article to my team. They just messaged me this morning asking me to send it over. Um, hurry up. Yeah. Yeah, I know. So it's, it's, it's definitely a a lot of work to be able to put it together, but I will say, I I kind of like poke and make fun at like the piece of paper folded in half as a newsletter, but guess what? In the beginning, that's what we sent out, right? (laughs) Cause that's, that's what we had available. And so, you know, I always tell people like, like version one is better than version none. Right. And so our version one was a piece of paper. It was an 11 by 17 folded twice. So folded in half once and folded in half again, stuck in an envelope and mailed out Mm -hmm. and it got the job done for a couple of months until we got version 2.0, right? So mm-hmm. version 1.0 is fine, but always make sure you're looking to kind of improve things. And so once we hired on our full-time director of marketing and and of uh, and PR, she has this design and look, and she designs all of our materials. So she's the one in house that does the the investor booklets. She does the newsletters. She does our website. She does all of our email communications. She's she's really good at that piece of things. And um, and I will say that since we've been doing that, we have been able to raise more capital because we're staying in front of investors in multiple types of media, mm-hmm. and it's in media that it's not necessarily them having to go and seek it out, right? And with, with email, they got to go check their email box to see it, right? And if it gets into spam, it goes into their spam box and I have to check another box. Mm-hmm. And yes, you do have to check your mail, right? When mm-hmm. you get something in the mail, but you pretty much get 100% open rate when it comes to the mail, as long as the mail to people deliver it, right? So I'll call it 99% because sometimes the mail gets lost. But for the most part, we're reaching all of our investors with the newsletter every month. So even if it's a month that we don't have a deal available, we're still sending yeah. out those out those 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 monthly newsletters so we have those touch points with the investors to be able to build that relationship with them and cultivate that relationship before they feel comfortable you know wiring us you know a hundred thousand two hundred thousand or you yeah. know even you know a couple million dollars to be able to acquire a property yeah and something something else I'll point out and I've got it right here so once again if you're listening you should you should be watching on YouTube too but you send a lot I don't know if it's everything but you know when I get a FedEx envelope you know from the the FedEx delivery person, that gets opened 100% of the time. And I mean, you're not just sending things with a postage stamp in an envelope. I mean, that may have been version 1.0, but you know, I'm getting you know large envelopes FedExed to me for stuff. Which you know, once again, 100% open rate is is what you get in my house. And I assume you know most people when they get that FedEx envelope, you know, at the door, they're like, oh, FedEx. You know, somebody thinks I'm important enough to FedEx something out. So yeah. Anyway, I thought the first time I got that, I I was, I mean, first question went through my mind is who sending me FedEx, you know, but uh, um, (laughs) I will, I will say that. So the, the, the monthly newsletter gets sent out via first class priority mail. So we don't do bulk rate or anything like that, even though we probably could, we do it because we want to make sure it gets delivered and it's delivered, you know, within three to five days. Right. 
Um, we send everything else out via either FedEx or Priority Mail so that it actually has more of a uh, instead of a white envelope with an address on it, it's it's like you just showed there. It's an actual FedEx envelope that actually looks more important. And so we do get that 100% open rate. Yeah. So anyway, when I when I when I got the first FedEx FedEx package from you, opened it up. I mean, the thing that went through my mind is that is absolutely brilliant. You know, I mean, um, you probably send me emails and it probably goes to my junk folder, but uh, I, I get the I get the envelopes anyway. I think uh, a lot of gems there. Version 1.0. It's better to send something out and work on improving it than not sending anything out. So don't wait till it's perfect. Just start and improve the process. I, I love I love that that point there. Um, anyway, we're, uh, got a lot of things that I want to ask you, but we got, we got Bob here too. So I'm, I'm going to shorten things up. And, uh, so question for you that I, I'd love to ask everybody is why do you do this? What's your why behind all of this? Yeah. I know a lot of people will say family and, uh, and things like that. And I would definitely say that's at the top of my list, but instead of saying what a lot of people say, uh, which is the family, which I hope everybody has their family at the mm-hmm. forefront of what they, of why they do what they do. I had this conversation with my mentor when we first got started and because, you know, one of the things that he asked me was, is, you know, how much more money do you need a month to be able to change your life? And I said, well, honestly, I said, I'm doing really well with these medical clinics and I really don't need a lot of money to be able to change my current livelihood, right? I was, I'm pretty much doing now what I was doing before. So, and he, he basically asked me that same question. He said, well, you need to find something that you have a goal for that is bigger and better and greater than you. Right. And so started down this like path of, of trying to figure out internally, like what is it that can drive me and motivate me to continue to move forward and continue to strive for success. And my wife and I decided to start this foundation called Fortify. It's called the Fortify Foundation. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a foundation that comes alongside nonprofit Christian schools to teach them how to set up an endowment for their school. Right. So mm-hmm. whether it be an endowment for facilities or an endowment for a teacher fund or an endowment for student scholarships, we can come alongside them and teach them that and then uh, provide them with some opportunities to be able to grow that nest egg mm-hmm. and be able to provide some sustainability for that organization. And so my wife comes from a, from a long line of, of educators in the, in, the, in the private Christian school space. My grandmother and grandfather started the South Carolina Association of Christian Schools back when it started years ago. Oddly enough, my father-in-law is the executive director of that association that was, that was started years ago. So definitely a small world around here. But yep. that to me, what I would say is what continues to drive me and motivate me to to realize the impact that we can have on furthering the kingdom of God and and being able to do that through supporting these these local kind of Christian private schools and you know now we have uh, partner schools that are that are all over the country and, uh, and it continues to grow every single month. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I like that. And my my mind's spinning there. I mean, my we talked about this right, right before we hit the record button. But my wife's from Columbia, born and raised in born in West Columbia, raised in Lexington, but she's got. You know, probably a hundred cousins that run around, all Christians, and several of them go to went to you know Christian private schools growing up. So, I'm curious. You know, I not not something to talk about right now, but I'm curious if if what you've done's impacted you know my my wife's family. But uh, I'm sure it has in some way. But anyway, yeah. thanks for thanks for for what you do on, on that front, and I think it's uh, absolutely amazing. So, last question for you, and very open ended. What's next? Some of the things that we're working on, I can't talk about just yet, but we do have a few things that we are working on. We have this one, uh, actually two alternative asset classes that we're doing some pretty heavy investigations on. Actually flew out to Kansas City and and St. Louis yesterday to do some additional investigating on a few things with that. But uh, 
the things that I can talk about is is we're we're definitely expanding our Express Car Wash brand. Mm-hmm. So we started acquiring those assets in March of this year, and we knew our investors are going to like it because they definitely have high cash flows. We were offering 10% preferred returns and yeah. great, you know, 20% plus returns on those. And, and so there's a lot of opportunity with that. We acquired just over a hundred million this year in, in express car washes. Mm-hmm. And that's with about 19 different locations with 200 development. And our goal is to get to a hundred locations next year. Okay. So we'll, we'll, you know, more than double the size uh, of the current portfolio of express car washes and, uh, and so that's what we're doing where we're built, we're even, you know, hiring on additional acquisitions people to be able to make sure that that can actually happen so that we can continue to maintain the kind of growth that we want to get to the goal of 300 locations by yep. the next three years so that we can turn around and, and flip it over to a private equity group that wants to buy it at a, at a really high equity multiple, or we can, you know, potentially consider doing an IPO, which of course, you know, when, once you have over a hundred million dollars a year in revenue coming in from a company, um, you can do an IPO like that. And it can make it provide even higher returns for investors. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. I, love it. I mean, speaking of the car washes, I mean, we, we we have subscriptions at our local, you know, Express Car Wash where you know we're we're paying them every month. And I, I can just imagine that model being repeated over and over again. That would work extremely well. Love it. Thanks for thanks for sharing all that. We're going to shift gears a little bit and and uh, talk with Bob for a little bit. So, Bob, welcome. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. And uh, good seeing you again. Uh, you know, we, we met in person several months ago and uh, we've been connected for quite a while, though. So it's good to finally get you on the podcast. Appreciate you coming on today. Absolutely. Do us a favor. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what's gotten you into multifamily real estate. First of all, let me say if I had a hat on, I would tip it to Dan uh, for his accomplishments. Yep. Yep. My background. That, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My background was in uh, marketing and advertising, a couple of college degrees in that regard. I worked my way up through the ad agency business into corporate marketing, probably culminating in uh, grand opening the NASA Space Center Houston in Houston, Texas, back in the early 90s. After that, I got into management consulting and executive recruiting with a small boutique firm in Houston, transitioned to a large international group, opened their office in Houston in 2004, moved to Dallas and joined that office. Mm -hmm. And here about a year and a half ago, I left and started my own executive search firm. During that time, I was always kind of interested in real estate. Um, I had friends in Houston that owned a lot of single family homes I got involved in fix and flips, which wore me out. I soon discovered I did not like swinging hammers for a living. So I got out of that and I started getting involved in um, self-education on multifamily. Got involved with uh, Michael Blanc's organization and educated myself more. And then finally uh, hired a mentor and got into a mentorship program which I've been in since March of this year. Awesome. A lot of goodness there. You know, I appreciate a lot of what you said there. And yeah, we, we met at the Michael Blanc conference. I thought that was that was pretty fun deal. Were you at the Michael Blanc conference where, where Dan brought the band, by the way? Okay, so <laughs> no. this, this would have been, I think, 2019. Dan was one of the speakers and, you know, brought a marching band with him to it. You know, it's something that- <laughs> Way to uh, go. Yeah. I don't remember what he said on stage. I don't remember a thing he said, but I remember the band. And I think that was the point. But 
thanks for thanks for that. So one one question for you that I ask everybody: What is your why? Yeah, good question. So it's probably not singular because I have this drive to be a paymaster for the gospel. Mm-hmm. So and that's a multi-part thing. I want to start a fund so small Christian investors can get involved in real estate investing. This would be people that can't afford fifty thousand dollars or more, but they could probably chip in five or twenty five hundred. So I'm interested in doing that, but I don't have the uh, ability to do that just yet. I haven't grown to the point where I can do that. The second thing would be I'd like to build generational wealth on behalf of my family. Mm-hmm. I also promised my wife that I'd build her a big barn dominium with an art studio in it. <laughs> uh, so that's a driving desire on her part, and it motivates me to no end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, speaking that, of, I still owe my wife a trip to Rome. COVID uh, nixed that for us. Um, you know, my my payback to her for getting into you know coaching when I did that was after we buy our first property, we'll, we'll go on a trip to Rome together. And I still owe her that because we were going to do it summer 2020 and everybody knows what happened, you know, but anyway. Now's a good time. Now's a good time. We're, we're looking at next summer, which happens to be our 25th anniversary. So we'll we'll get her done. But anyway, appreciate you sharing that. A lot of, lot of good reasons to, to do what you're doing. Now comes my favorite part of the show where I say, Bob, we got Dan on the line. What do you want to ask him? There seems to be this big disparity between, you know, between where I am and where he is. Mm-hmm. And the big question for me is, how did you start getting investors lined up? Well, I will say that in the very beginning, it was challenging because I said earlier, I came from the background of being a chiropractor and only medical clinics. And so trying to go to like family and friends and trying to raise money from them, it was like, well, I thought you were a chiropractor. Like I thought, I thought you were in there cracking backs all day long. And now you're telling me you're doing real estate. So the biggest hurdle we had to overcome first was trying to figure out how to talk to our family and friends about what I'm doing now. Right. And I quickly found that that was more of an uphill battle than just trying to go out and try to find investors that already were somewhat pre-educated in it. And that's kind of where we at PassiveInvesting.com is focused is trying to go after people that already are pre-educated on it instead of trying to teach a lot of new investors how to invest passively. Because there is an educational hurdle there. Now, I'm not saying we don't do anything to educate people that, that don't know about it, but the majority of our efforts are focused on people that are already pre-educated on it. So going to conferences, going to events, going to meetups, going to you know, RIA, RIA meetings, things like that, talking to people, you know, doing you know, podcasts like this, whether we're a guest on somebody else's podcast, we have our own podcast. And I would also say, you know, building an authority platform around what you're trying to accomplish will help you get to where you want to go faster because you have now immediately elevated yourself into a position of authority and that builds credibility and builds trust more people will want to invest with you that way. And so from my perspective, I would say from where we are today, one of the things that we did early on that was successful was that we started with one thing, right? Because you can look at someone like us and our group and go, they have so much going on. Like they got their Mm -hmm. podcast, they got their YouTube, they got their LinkedIn, they got the in-person events, they got conferences that they go to every year, they got podcasts that they're they're putting on. And then, and there's so much that we have that are, we have 45 full-time employees. Like how do you compete with us, right? Thankfully, like when I think about other operators, 
I don't really think about it as being as much competition because I feel like a lot of times we're in collaboration with each other. Mm-hmm. I get a lot of referrals from other other operators. We refer out, you know, investors that ask about, about other operators to other operators. And so there is this collaboration aspect to it, but you have to make sure that in the very beginning that you are you are putting that time and energy and effort and focus into Yes, the, the attracting the investors, but then also at the same time, uh, trying to ac- acquire the deals and being able to have both of them coming on at the same time. And that's where I think for us, it was very important at the very beginning that not only was it just me, not, not just me, not only was it was it me, but it was also our two other partners, right? So we have Danny Randazzo and Brandon Abbott that are very hyper-focused on what they do and they're kind of like <clears throat> column of the business. And so if you're starting out and you're on your own, I would suggest trying to, of course, try to do it all on your own because that's what I did in the very beginning. And then go to these different events and go to these different conferences that will allow you to be able to be connected with the people that you could potentially partner with to be able to grow your book of business, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And so, something he said that uh, resonated with me, I was active duty military. And when I started talking to people about investing, I, I got a very similar question. You know, it's like, I thought you were a Marine. You know, I thought you were active duty. And that's something that, you know, I 100%, you know, same thing, exact same thing happened with me. And I did find it was a lot easier to find new investors than it was to convince previous contacts that I kind of changed my roles. So good point there. I would not even approach my family. <laughs> well, I will I will say this, guys, that I have not had any of my family invest in our property. So up to this point, we've raised just over 530 million in equity and not $1 has come from my family. And it's not because they don't want to invest with me, it's because they really aren't in a position to invest, right? And you mentioned, Bob, about kind of one of your passions is being able to create a fund that you can have other people that might not have the, the amount of money to invest in, but they can invest something. Mm-hmm. And that, that mm-hmm. happens. it's something that we've had an internal discussion about for quite some time now. And we're actually working on a regulation A plus fund that will allow us to bring on those investors that aren't necessarily accredited, but they still want to, you know, achieve the results and and, and get the returns that, that we are achieving. And we honestly are doing it and we don't really care if we raise a ton of money for it. Like if we raise half a million dollars, I'll be fine. If we raise 5 million, I'll be fine. If we raise the full 70 million or plus or whatever, we'll be fine. Right. Right. Um, But it's really providing an opportunity for people that we have conversations with. And I've had, you know, two of our pastors at our church that have come up to me and they're like, Hey, I got X amount of dollars that's sitting here. And I, what should I do with it? And I'm like, I can't really help you right now. Right. So it's more like just put it in the, in the stock market, which I don't want to recommend that either, you know? So exactly. I think there's a huge need out there within that community. When you first started talking to potential investors, perhaps at a meetup or something like that, and they nodded their head and they said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm interested. Did they actually give you a soft commit? Did they go to your website and join your investor club or any of that? Or did did they just kind of not do anything? Yeah. I would say it's both, right? There are some people you meet and they did nothing. And then there's people that we met and we got their information and we added them to the list, right? So before they didn't have to go to the website, I'm like, don't worry about it. I'll just add you to the list if you're interested. We didn't get any sock mm-hmm. bits at that point because I, I did ask them up front, like, how much would you be willing to invest over the next 12 months if I can find multiple projects like this for you? Mm-hmm. And so kind of to kind of get some sort of a ballpark number. And even today, if you go to our website and fill out the form that tells you, that tells us that you want to invest, 
we actually asked them, how much are you looking to invest over the next 12 months, right? So not how much do you want to invest in the next deal? I want to know how much you want to invest with our group over the next 12 months. Yeah. And so that could give us a little bit of a ballpark as to as to how much money they have. But I would say that that kind of strategy is just so inconsistent. You would be foolish to go court a bunch of investors and ask them how much they want to invest over the next 12 months and use that figure and number to determine the size of an asset that you, asset that you want to buy right? It's really more of a kind of a ballpark because I would say I wouldn't bank on any more than maybe 10 to 15%, maybe if you're lucky, 20% of that money actually coming to fruition over the next 12 months. So it's really a game of of getting in front of more investors to be able to get your name out there. And it's, it's, and I know Brian's heard me talk about this before, but you know, at the top of our investor triad is this word no. It's this no like and trust triad. The very top is no, and that's the most important piece. Because if you don't get people to know you, then they never have an opportunity to make an opinion as to whether or not they like or trust you, right? The biggest thing that you have to focus on in the very beginning is getting people to really know who you are and uh, and getting your name out there so that they are interested in you. And then fi- and then once you put them on your list, you've got to make sure that you cultivate that list. You can't put them on your list because you met them at a Michael Blanc event and then six months later expect to send them one email and then actually remember who you are. Yeah. Right. You got to have some sort of follow up process in place that, you know, you're having a phone call with them and you're sending them emails and you're sending them something in the mail and you're engaging with them more than just putting them on the list. And I said that was that would be one of the things that we do really well is making sure that we do engage our, our investors as much as possible. If I had one thing that, that I realized I need to work on, it's, it's the follow up. I was talking mm-hmm. with a friend about a week ago and we both said that we've pro- I've probably lost more investors by not following up than people who've actually invested in my deals. Something that I'm I'm working on drastically right now is to figure out how to better that follow-up process. Because I mean, Dan's absolutely right. You meet somebody, you know, they, they could be primed and ready to go, but if you don't talk with them for six months, you're not going to get, they're not going to invest. And just, and just to kind of follow up that, Bob, to give you some encouraging information is that you know, I, I share with you, I got 10,614 people on this you know list that we have, right? That we've cultivated since 2018. 10,000 doesn't sound like a lot, but you figure out how much money we've raised and that's a lot. But if you think about it, we only have about 1,800 active investors. So of those 10,600, only 1,800 of them have actually wrote a check or wired money, right? If you do the math on that, it's roughly 17% of investors that have come in actually invest in our properties. So a lot of times I get some people will email me or they'll ask me at a conference and they're like, what do you do to engage other people on your list? Because I have so many people that tell me they want to invest. And then when there's a deal, they don't invest. I'm like, that's just the nature of the business. I'm like, I don't really think there's too much you can do now. We're doing some things to increase our engagement. So we have of those 10,600 people, we have an engagement rate of about 35%. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, you know, some of the things that we've done over the last 12 months is starting to do a masterclass. We hired on a director of education. That's where our sole focus is, is to educate investors and to educate investors that are already on our list <clears throat> about different topics to make them feel more comfortable with us so that they will want to invest with us into the future. Investor masterclass. I love that idea. I'm stopping to take notes right now. Investor masterclass. Okay, got it. Love that. I love that idea. It's something that I I think I've seen, but I, I haven't haven't actually put into practice yet. But anyway, we are out of time. So one last question for both of you. And uh, Dan, you get to go first. How can listeners learn more about you? Yeah, so there are two ways. So number one, you can go to our website, passiveinvesting.com. 
And uh, in the top right-hand corner, there's a blue button. If you want to you know, join us as one of our passive investors, you can certainly do that. Fill out, Click that button and fill out the form. And then you can also go to linkwithdan.com, and that'll allow you to connect with me on LinkedIn. That just goes straight to my LinkedIn profile mm-hmm. and, uh, and kind of go from there. Linkwithdan.com. I like that. All right. And then passiveinvesting.com. All right. I'm just putting those in the show notes right now. So listeners, if you want to connect with Dan, linkwithdan.com or passiveinvesting.com, check it out in the show notes. It's all it's all down there. Bob, same question for you. Great. Uh, website is Robert Buffum, all one word, Robert B-U-F-F-U-M.com. All right. And once again, we're going to have that in the show notes as well. So if you're interested in connecting with Bob, check it out, robertbuffin.com. And that's it for today's show. Uh, big thanks to both you gentlemen again for, for sharing so much of yourselves and businesses and look forward to you know, seeing you both again sometime, hopefully in the near future. Thanks, Brian. Awesome. Sounds great. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast by the Tribe of Titans. If you're still listening, you obviously liked it. So go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star rating and review if you haven't already, and then make sure to check out our YouTube channel, which incidentally has a ton of video content that you'll also enjoy and learn from. Now, if you're interested in being on the show, go to our website, diaryofanapartmentinvestor.com and fill out the questionnaire on the website. And for more educational content and for more information about our educational community, check us out at thetribeoftitans.info.